0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Rain Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Oh wait, and one more thing before we get on to the episode. As part of our continued effort here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast to bring awareness to the incredible benefits of horsemanship, we'd like to share with you an event that includes the ultimate horseman and the ultimate show. We're talking about Heart of the Horse, brought to you by Nikki Flundra, who just so happened to be featured in episode 23. Heart of the Horse will be held at Silver Slate Arena in Nanton, Alberta, September 20th through the 22nd. This event will host a Colt starting competition to include Dan James, Matt Robertson, and Glenn Stewart, all of which have been previous guests here at the Freedom Rain Podcast. Sunday, the winning horse will be auctioned off to benefit Robinson Outreach at Rivercross Ranch. Throughout the weekend, there will be horsemanship clinics, demos in liberty and trick riding, a Western artisan competition, trade show, and much more. Join us Saturday night for dinner and dancing and a chance to meet the competitors and other special guests. Let Freedom Rain podcast will have a booth at the event, and we'll be interviewing guests and fans throughout the event. Stop on by, say hi, and you might have a chance to be a guest on the show. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit theheartofthehorse.ca. We look forward to seeing you all there. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Rain, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned, we're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome back to another week here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. This week marks episode 56, the second of a two-part series with world-renowned horseman Warwick Schiller. Throughout the entirety of our conversation, we talked a lot about philosophy and approach, not only in things that can improve your life, but improve your horsemanship as well. If you haven't already, and in order to give this conversation greater context, we suggest you go back and listen to episode 55 first. Warwick has been an incredible resource to the international horsemanship community. And to follow more of Warwick's content, you can visit his YouTube page, Instagram, Facebook, or his website, warwickschiller.com. W-A-R-W-I-C-K-S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R.com. We thank you all for your continued support of the show. You can find us both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you have found value in any of our episodes, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is part two of our conversation with Warwick Schiller.
1: There was so much I learned from that that applies to horses. And I really, you know, if, you, if you've ever heard the saying, and it's an old uh, Lao Tzu, you know, the, born in 600 BC or something rather, you know, Chinese philosopher. He said that if you're depressed, you're living in the past. and If you're anxious, you're living in the future. And if you're peaceful, you're living in the present. And what I found, what I found out, what I, I was uh, basically been depressed for a long time, had a form of depression for a long time, and it was so normal for me that I didn't know there was another way to be. You know, I'd been that way for, for so long, I didn't, didn't even know I was that way. I thought that was just normal. And um, in learning all that stuff, I realized that horses are pretty much the same way. Horses, when they're having an issue, when they're having problems, they are not present. They're either anxious, you know, they might have their head up and their ears prepped and they're looking at something over in the distance and they're going, Is that going to come and eat me? Do I need to run? You know, they're planning ahead. The exit strategy. Yeah. And then I think horses like Sherlock and like the one you just mentioned, I think they're more, it's more like human depression because from personal experience, the depression for me is not dwelling on the past, it's just being in your head. Yeah. And so I think those shutdown horses are just in their head. I think anxious horses are in their head about stuff that's going on and creating scenarios that aren't actually happening right now. Mm-hmm. But I really think the the shutdown ones are – I'm not saying they're depressed, but I'm drawing an analogy. it's, it's, Correct. it's For Correct. me, it's, it's, from my experience, it's like what human depression is like. And, and it's all about – it's all about them not being present. And what I have found is that a lot of times horses have either of those two scenarios because we are not present. We're the ones that actually cause that. And when I was staying with a lady in Africa in Kenya and I go for a walk through those zebras, I noticed that the herds of zebras, you'd be away from them. And they'd be all grazing. And as you get closer, one by one, their heads would start to pop up and they're kind of like, do I need to run? Can I stay? That sort of thing, you know. Um, but I noticed that when some of those zebras are laying down, the other zebras standing around are not eating, okay. Um, they're not grazing. They're basically present and aware, aware of any danger that might show up. And it allows the ones that are laying down to get a uh, a, a really good sleep because all animals, like horses, uh, zebras, things like that, we know they can sleep standing up, but they have to lay down to get REM sleep. And if they don't get that REM sleep, they become anxious and, you know, different things like it's that. It's the same I'm parallel standing. in
0: human beings, right? If you don't get that good yeah. sleep, you can't recover.
1: Right. And so, so, for a horse or a zebra, they need to have that herd around them to who is aware and could alert them to danger, is present and could alert them to danger for them to lay down and have a good sleep. And so, what I've found with horses is the biggest thing is to be able to be around them and be present. And that's because they can basically read your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, they can tell what's mm-hmm. going on in your mind. And, and I think all that in your head stuff that we, a lot of us have, is like white noise to them. It's it, it that's a great way to put half, it. Great way to put drives it. drives them half kind of crazy, but they're aware that, that we're not aware. You know, there's an old Ray Hunt saying that says they know when you know and they know when you don't. And I always thought that saying meant they know if you know what you're doing and they know if you don't know what you're doing. You know, they know if you're a gunsel. They know if you're a greenhorn. They know if you're a beginner. Mm-hmm. They can tell how much you know about horses. Whereas I realize now that's not what it is and it? For a long time I thought that's what it was and then a couple of years ago I read an article by someone who was around Ray Hunt a lot and he said when you're around a horse, you need to be aware of what his ears are doing. You need to be aware of what his eyes are doing. You need to be aware of what his nostrils are doing. You need to be aware of what his muscles are doing. You need to be aware of if there's any tension in his back. You need to be aware of his breathing. Is it shallow? Is it deep? You need to be aware of his tail. Is it up? Is it clamped? You need to be aware of all that stuff because they know when you know and they know when you don't. And I'm like, "Ah, okay, that's what it is. The horse knows when you're aware and when you're not aware. And the thing is, when you're not aware, they know that. And that in itself gives them a feeling of unease because they have to stay on high alert to be the lookout because you're not even paying attention. You'd know, you never notice a saber-toothed tiger if you ran out of the bushes. And so the big thing I've found is that the biggest thing is just being present is that probably the biggest being able to be present around them is probably the biggest key to having them be relaxed. And and for me these days, my training or my protocol with horses in order is first get them relaxed, second, build connection, third is start training on them. And, and I, you know, it used to be it was about training on them. Uh, and I found that when you do that. The training's easier. They almost know how to do it before you even get to it. But the biggest thing you've got to be able to do to get them relaxed is to be present. And so I've been a meditator for a couple of years now, and I've found that the meditation really, really helps because you're actually practicing controlling what your mind thinks about and being present when you're not around a horse. And so if you can't do it when you're not around a horse, there's quite a possibility you uh, you won't be able to do it when you are around a horse.
0: So in your work with horses and grounding yourself, right, so where you're in that moment, do you think do you have something that works when you're working with the horse or do you think the stuff that you're doing outside of the arena per se, such as a meditation, really helps within the arena?
1: Uh, well, that's the first step. I think it really helps with the in-the-arena stuff. But I think when I'm around a horse, the thing is I don't have any expectations or judgments. And I think that the expectations and the judgments are the big things that get in our way we're expecting them to do something or when they do something we we attach a story to it rather than my horse's head went up and his ears are looking over there you know Mm -hmm. instead instead of thinking that you go oh my horse's head he's looking over there what if he jumps on my toes i've got a sore toe anyway and i don't really have really good boots on it and yada yada yada. and here comes all that white noise yeah yeah all that stuff so being able to um being able to have no expectations and also no judgments. And the judgment thing, I got some, one of the homeworks we had to do for our group therapy last year was they wanted us to count judgmental thoughts. They said, so what we're going to do this week for homework is during the day, you're going to count judgmental thoughts and you can have a little clicker in your pocket. And every time you have a judgmental thought, you can click that. I probably some, wear that clicker out. Well, yeah, me too. So, or you can put some pebbles in one pocket, and as you have a thought, you can move them over to the other pocket. And I thought, well, I'll probably have about three judgmental thoughts all day, so mm-hmm. um, I'll just put three rocks in one pocket, and then I'll just transfer them over. At the end of the day, I'll have one, or I'll have two, or I'll have three. You know, I had twenty-one before breakfast the first oh, day. Oh, jeez! And, and the thing about having recognizing judgmental thoughts, being aware of the judgmental thoughts you have. The first thing you become aware of is how many of you have. That's the first thing you become aware of. And then a the second thing I think you become aware of is how many of you actually have about yourself. That's,
0: I mean, that's what was going to be my thing is that it's probably on me rather than other people. You know, I'm more critical uh, well, of myself.
1: It is, it is that too, but it's not just all other people. A lot of times we have those judgments about ourselves. And then when you have the judgments about yourself, Then you can reframe those judgments, and you know Brene Brown. You know, as you know, she's a shame researcher, and she says the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is I did something stupid. Shame is I am stupid, and guilt is changeable. Shame's not shame. You live with it. If you think you're stupid, you're you basically doomed yourself to be forever stupid. Whereas if you if you if you have guilt about something, you go, I did something stupid. You go, well, that's all right. I did it then. Next time I can, I can, I can be different. You don't stick yourself with it. And so, um, practicing that away from the horses is really helpful to practice non judgment, uh, with the horses. And so I think, you know, having a meditation practice and doing a lot of the other things. Um, so that, you know, like I said, the, the therapy didn't really help me as far as the emotions Mm -hmm. but it helped me but it helped me a lot with the horses
0: yeah with the awareness with the horse
1: yeah well the awareness and then that judgmental thing and you know i didn't do any clinics last year i took the whole year off from doing clinics i wanted to um, do the world of question games and i kind of wanted to take a step back and kind of reorganize things this was before i even knew i was going to do the the therapy if i'd have been traveling i wouldn't have been able to do the therapy because if you miss more than Two classes in a row, you're basically flunk out of there. Mm-hmm. And with my travel schedule, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of, I was kind of lucky to be able to to do that. But I went back to traveling this year, and the first airport I was in, I was walking along, and you know, I people watch in airports. I don't know if you people watch. But oh, I absolutely watch. entertaining. And uh, that's it. It's entertaining, isn't it? What I realized is when I people watch, I'm judging. And that's what makes it so entertaining. I never you know, thought like, about that, but it makes absolute I, sense. I'm <laughs> judging. Like you look at the first person, you think, did you have a mirror in your house? Like did you even <laughs> – I wouldn't leave the house looking like that. You ju- and I tend to – I figured out I judge the worst thing about everybody that walks past. And so then I thought, okay, I want to change that. So then I started – what I started doing was when I'm walking along through the airport, people are walking the other way, I look them in the eye and I think to myself, may you be happy? They might not look me in the eye, but I look them in the eye and I give them a little eye smile. You know, when the corners of your eyes kind of crinkle up, I yeah. kind of give them that. And I look them in the eye and I think, maybe be happy. Every once in a while, if someone looks you in the eye and you give them a the little eye crinkle and they give one back and you have that, you have that moment of connection with a total stranger. Yeah, the acknowledgement. Hmm, momentarily. Some people, they see you looking at them and they look down. Some people don't even notice you're looking at them. But what I found when I started doing that was I'd get to the other end of the airport and I had a... A lightness about me i had an energy inside me that was light and positive whereas if i walk through the airport and i judge everybody when i get to the other end of the airport i don't even realize it's there but i realize now i've always had maybe this bit of heaviness
0: yeah that's what i was just gonna as you're describing it i'm thinking it's a weight it's a weight on you
1: yeah and i i the the one place (laughs) so for my therapy that a lot of times i give you homework and when you come in uh the next week they say okay so do you do your homework and will you get in trouble if you don't do your homework and for the most part i don't do my homework because a lot of the homework <laughs> a lot of times the homework was about what skill did you use this week when you had an emotional crisis and i said i didn't do the homework why not well i didn't have an emotional crisis yeah. i don't have emo- i don't have emotions so i didn't have to do the homework <laughs> but the only time i did was if i was traveling somewhere because the people I have the most trouble with is the TSA.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a whole different episode we could okay. do.
1: I have trouble with the TSA, and it's not that I don't like following rules. Like, I don't have trouble with the police mm-hmm. because the rules are the same everywhere. What I have trouble with is should I take my laptop out? Should I keep it in? Should I take my shoes on? Should I put them off? Should I put… Can I put something in the bin with a laptop, or can I not? Can I put? Do I put my back my backpack in the bat in the bin? I don't put it in the bin, and I always have trouble with the TSA because the rules were different every time. And I do it, I do it because I want to be right. I don't yeah. want to break the rules yeah. and I'd do something, and then they'd say, "No, no, no, you're doing it wrong." And then I get, then I would have an emotional it started to get worked so, up a little bit, yeah, yeah. Well, what I found is, yeah, when when do you when do you go through the TSA? After you have walked through the whole airport, and what I find now is, if I walk through the airport and everybody I say, I look them in the eye and I say, "May I be happy," I'm in a completely different headspace by the time I get to the TSA.
0: Makes it a lot more tolerable.
1: Yeah, and and and, and these days I, you know, these days I have no expectations of the rules being the same as they were. I mean, because I can go through two airports in a day, and the rules are different. In yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. And I used to get mad like, you guys are supposed to be protecting us and you have no idea what the hell you're doing because I'd be, I'd have two guys in the same airport tell me something different. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, how frustrating, right?
1: You know, you, you yeah. put your stuff in the bin and by the time you get up to the thing, the next guy tells you, no, take it out of there. And I'm like, well, hang on. That guy over there just – I used to get mad and go, hey, I want you and you and your supervisor over here because you got – you know, it used to piss me off. Really. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it used to piss me off because of the headspace I was in by the time I got there. I was in that negative judgmental headspace. And so nowadays it it doesn't, the TSA don't bother me at all because I don't have any, you know, I'm I'm in a different space by the time I get to them. And so I think, you know, if you think about these days, the TSA doing the same thing they used to do doesn't bother me. Well, it's the same thing with your horse, I think. If you can get to where you're non-judgmental. Whatever they do is whatever they do. It's, you don't have that emotion attached to it. So, um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I'm, I'm a big quoter of, of, um, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I can't think of his name right now. He's an American philosopher. Um, but these days I'm really big on helping people change the way they look at things because it's, like you said at the start, what, how you view the world is how the world, appears to you but it's not necessarily how the world is and when you can change your perspective you change what you see.
0: And all that you've described about awareness and understanding yourself and not placing expectations um, not only on you as the individual but on the horse as well Uh, it made me think of a scenario that I had run into with my horse and we had traveled all over the country Uh, the horse has been in a trailer I don't even know how many thousands of times and and one day we were loading them up and, and my mind was on getting to the venue and not getting a horse loaded and, and not getting prepared for the day. And I think because I was preoccupied, right, I created this huge hurdle. And for whatever reason, uh, uh, me and the horse got into a pissing contest over a task that we had done a thousand times before. And, and eventually we get the horse loaded and we go about our business. And the lion's share of me driving to the venue was just thinking about, why do we have such an issue this morning doing something that was so simple that we've done a million times before? And and now you describing the white noise and me being emotionally busy or or mentally busy um, facing that challenge with the horse. Fortunately for me, I had that reflection the next day. We go back out and I wanted to work exactly on the trailer loading, but it wasn't. I wasn't coming from a perspective of accomplishing the task of trailer loading. I changed my view and I wanted to learn every emotional indicator that I could find in the horse. So we started out with a typical loading process and I was really trying to be aware of the first time that horse showed interest, whether it was an indication from the eye, whether it was a shift of physical body weight, whether it was an ear tipping off towards that trailer. And it wasn't within minutes. um, I was sending that, that horse off. He'd start walking towards the trailer. I'd throw the lead line up over his back, and he'd walk right in the trailer uh, a million times before the horse was relaxed. It was a completely different air of emotion between him and I. And I think trying to find the awareness in you as a human being to to seek that awareness in the horse emotionally is where success really starts to take place. But it's difficult because I don't think humans inherently have that level of emotional awareness. So. Is there, in your experience, is there a way or things that you look for in the horse to understand, you know, you talked about having a horse relaxed, having a horse engaged, you know, developing the relationship and then working on training. Are there things that you look for in the horse particularly uh, to to know when that horse is in the right place emotionally to start getting to work?
1: Yeah, well, the, the big thing, the big thing I found is... A lot, of horses are, a lot of horses are mentally shut down. A lot of very, very functional horses are kind of mentally shut down. And so people, um, people that have horses that are completely out of control, they, they don't usually think – they know they've got a problem, but it's the shut yes. down ones that seem like they're perfectly kind of normal. Um, a lot of times we don't realize that they have a problem and the thing that I tend to look for is uh, are they licking and chewing? You know, does because when they when they go into the sympathetic nervous system they they don't lick and chew. They mm-hmm. you know, they shut up the blood supply mm-hmm. to their to their muzzle and stuff. So that's the thing I wanna know. I almost wanna have them to be able to lick and chew in between each interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other day you were talking about trailer loading. I have in the past had clinics to where um, I've done. I'm done with the clinic. I was actually in Germany a few years ago, and I'd been in in Europe for a month. It was the last day of the last clinic. I'm looking forward to being done. And uh, there was a lady in the clinic, and she'd been in the clinic since the year before, and she thought it was so funny that she had not taught her horse a single thing in the last year since I'd been there. She so thought so that was funny. Those, yeah, I think yeah. she's a serial clinic goer, but she doesn't go yes, to learn. Yes. She goes to socialize. You know, yeah, she's for the got appearance. A really. Yeah, she thought it was really funny that her big warm blood has knew no more about a person than it did the year before. So when the clinic's over, then she comes up and she goes, hey, can you help me load my horse? Okay, so I went over there and I wanted to help her load this horse. Anyway, about 10.30 that night, I said, you know what? The horse is not getting on this trailer. It was dark. I was tired. It was 10.30. I spent about four and a half hours trying to get this horse on the trailer. Wow. And so after that, I said, you know what? I am never, ever going to. So it's in, <laughs> it's, it's in my clinic thing. Warwick will not help you load your horse after the clinic. Yes, yes. Okay? If you want to work on trailer loading, we'll drive the trailer into the arena, and you can work on it as part of your session. But, And so the other day in um, uh, Scotland, I actually had someone who wanted to work on that. So we parked the trailer, backed it up to the gateway of the arena so I could help her and help everybody else at the same time. And what I worked on with her was approaching the trailer and noticing when her horse's level of relaxation changed. So I was walking towards the trailer. I might have been 50, 60 feet from the trailer, and the horse kind of stopped and raised its head up a bit. I just waited right there. So that horse gave me some indication of being less concerned. So it wasn't concerned. Mm-hmm. It wasn't terribly concerned, but mm-hmm. it was. It was. It It had noticed the trailer. It was and enough to change of that ticker. threshold, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think this horse kind of stayed at the trailer a bit, and then I waited for the horse to start blinking a little bit. And then I led the horse away from the trailer, and I stopped away from the trailer and stood there for a minute, and that horse had a bit of a lick and a chew. And so then we went back over and did it again. I didn't get the horse on the trailer, and I told the lady at the start, I'm not trying to get your horse on the trailer, but I think that your trailer loading problem happens way because I had her try to do it first. Mm -hmm. And the horse would walk up to the ramp of the trailer, and then she had trouble. But what she didn't notice was as the horse got closer and closer to the ramp, that horse had subtle signs of being less relaxed. Mm-hmm. And and so that's all we worked on was that approach thing. But the big thing was I would take that horse away from the trail and wait for the horse to lick and chew before we approached again. Well, every time we approached, it took longer for the horse to get to that, oh, there's a horse trailer there. You know, um, that, that threshold got closer and closer and closer to the trail. And we only had time to get up to the trailer. We didn't have time to get the whole work on the trailer, but what I was trying to show was, you know, the trouble you have getting your horse on the trailer, it starts way sooner than you think it starts. And if you can get that um, horse to let down, let go of that worry, I think the trailer loading won't be that big a deal.
0: And it's funny in my experience, uh, the, more, the more I get into the horsemanship side of things and you have any number of problems with a horse or any number of challenges – I'm very much starting to understand that it's not, we'll just say picking up a lead, right? For the sake of conversation. It's not the physical picking up a lead that's the problem. There's so many other precursors that lead up to that challenge, right? But it's been difficult in finding the awareness and, and peeling back the layers to find out, okay, what, what of those precursors is the issue? And then how do we go back and address those precursors? So when we get back to the lead change, you know, the total package is there so we can even address that.
1: Yeah, you know, most big things like the lead change, if they're not working, it's not in the lead change. Usually there's something you, you can do to break it, mm-hmm. to break it down. And like as far as on the ground, like what I was talking about with uh, this horse in Scotland, you just have to be really present to, like on the ground. You have yeah. to be present to notice those things because they're so subtle. Correct. That you Correct. have to be very, very present to notice them, and I think there's, I think there's two parts to that. One is you notice that they're starting to get a bit concerned, so that's so you can you can take steps to relieve that worry. But the other thing is, I think they notice you notice, and I think that builds a lot of connection. They notice how present you are. They notice, you know, they they basically it's that whole Ray Hunt thing. They know when you know, and they know when you don't. Yeah. They, they notice that you notice and I think that is the biggest part of the whole thing and it's not it's not the training part you're not actually teaching them to do things it's not I noticed so I'm going to change what I'm doing because that's training it's just the fact that you noticed and I think you build so much connection I think you just build so much connection by that just that awareness
0: and I think when I try to explain this this type of scenario of awareness to folks it's in 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 helping humans understand how a horse appreciates the acknowledgement. Um, it's like if you were and I to have to have a conversation face to face, right? If I spend the whole time looking off over your shoulder or not even facing you, or having my head in the phone, right? Uh there, there's some level of disrespect that you are going to feel. As, as part of that dialogue, you know, versus if I'm looking you in the eye and I'm responding to your questions and I'm actively engaged, you know, it's a completely different dynamic that we're going to have between each other versus me being preoccupied and me being engaged. And, and I think that's how the communication or that's how I try to sell the communication to individuals is that you have to be engaged with the horse. But in doing that, you got to be willing to be engaged and you got to be willing to find those answers.
1: Yeah, you know what? And what's funny is you just said that if, if I was talking to you and you were looking at your phone and looking over my shoulder, that you you know, there's a level of disrespect. I think in the past, that's the way I would have viewed it. Mm-hmm. N- now I realize that when people do that and horses do that, it's their way of dealing with what's going on right there. So I, I no longer think those things are about me. Like I wouldn't mm-hmm. think, if you're doing that to me, I wouldn't think, I personally wouldn't think you were disrespecting me. Mm-hmm. I would think you are having trouble being being present, staying Absolutely. connected, Absolutely. and and um, yeah. It's, uh, so it really, you know, my journey with this whole thing is it really changes that judgmental part of you. These days, if I, you know, these days if I see somebody who's breaking the law for some reason, you know, whether it's a report in the newspaper or on the news, whatever. Instead of thinking. Oh, uh, you're a bad person for doing that. I tend, these days I tend to think, oh God, I feel sorry for you having to have your life end up to where you think that's your only option. Yeah, and it's just you know it's kind of carries over to the horses too. I no longer look at, I, I no longer take things personally. Everything they do has a reason for it, and uh, yeah, just for me, it's just completely changed how you look at things. And these days at clinics, I I really try to get. I've really, I've really realised that the biggest part of getting along with horses is what goes on in your mind and emotionally inside you. Because I mean, you know, horses—they use horses for therapy a lot these days, and yeah, one absolutely. thing horses are really good at. Horses are really good at detecting incongruent behavior, which, where you're in a landscape and you're out of landscape, don't match. So, that whole fake it till you make it and put on a brave face thing actually don't work with horses. I think it actually makes it worse. I think you'd be better off telling the horse, I think you'd be better off acting scared and thinking scared than thinking scared and acting tough because that, that bothers them more than the truth, I think. That incongruent behavior. Yeah, I the deception. It, Yeah, I think it bothers them more than the truth. And someone asked me one time, well, why do you think that is? And I thought about it and I said, well, if you think about their prey animals. If you've ever seen like a National Geographic, you know, show of there's the zebras out there grazing and the the lion's just walking by past there. And they don't even pick their heads up. And I think when the lion's walking past there thinking, I'm going to get a drink of water from the water hole, they're fine. But when the lion's walking past and then he goes, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm walking past but really I'm thinking about grabbing one of these zebras and eating them. The energy changes, I think that incongruent behavior where the lion is basically saying one thing on the outside and thinking something else on the inside, I think they are so they evolved to be so in tune with that. That's one of their that's one of their talents to keep them alive is being able to be in tune with that incongruent behavior where the mind is thinking I'm going to do something, but the body's doing something else. And and I think that's where a lot of people have trouble with their horses. So these days at clinics I'm, I spend more time helping people with their mental state and managing their internal state than I do with the horse training part. And they and the, the horses get so much better for it because I think in the past, you know, I've seen, you know, 10 different people have a very similar horse and you have all 10 of them do exactly the same technique and it comes out 10 different ways yeah. because of their, their emotional state, their inner state, what's going on in their head, what's going on in their internal state. Um, and I think that's the the biggest part of it. That it's it's beyond – this is the connection part. It's beyond horse training. It's, it's, it's kind of who you are, you know what I mean?
0: And I think that's the biggest challenge in a lot of this horsemanship stuff. And and I completely agree with you because when my horsemanship started to improve is when I started to have that self-reflection and (laughs) develop myself, right? It's not that I became a better horseman per se. Uh, I just had a different level of awareness uh, emotionally, physically, all that. And... I think it's harder for the human because you talked about the whole fake it till you make it thing human. We can, we can lie in our emotional or the physical presentation of our emotional state, right? We can lie in yes. that, but the horse yeah. sees it as a predatorial response in the deception. And I guess maybe this is the million dollar question. Is it, how do you develop that level of awareness in a human being without creating, I guess, some level of disrespect or how they would perceive you as being, being offensive or, or, or attacking them, you know, does that make any sense? I don't know if I'm, yeah, the words so are coming how, out correctly.
1: So, so how I go about that is basically the same way Brene Brown goes about it. She tells stories about her own, you know, about her own journey and where she messed up. And I do the same thing at clinics instead of saying you were doing it wrong I will say okay when i when I was like that before, what I found was since i've changed this, this has changed, but you know you, you t- it's more just being authentic and vulnerable than than um you know it's not so much you telling people because because yeah. people people don't come to horse training clinics to 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 be psychoanalyzed they want to know how to get along with their horse better, and so these days I really make them aware that the thing that's going to help them get along with their horse better is being aware of what they think and what they feel before they're worried about what they do.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but it can be done. And and when it is done, it's absolutely incredible to watch.
1: Yeah, for me, and it's been a big circle too, because this started out with a horse that was shut down. So trying to figure out how to fix him kind of led me to realize how shut down i was and then in the whole of going to therapy for a year trying to fix me i figured out better ways to help the horses so i'm still working on the me bit but but uh, yeah so i started out with the horse then the onus was on me and then what I learned there went back to the horse. So yeah, it's was, it was pretty cool.
0: And think about it from a ripple effect. I mean, how is how cool is it to sit back, you know, a, a, a little ways down the road and think one horse's quote unquote issues helped you see some stuff in yourself, right? And how many horses and human beings have been affected in a positive way as a result of, of your level of awareness and that horse's physical presentation or, or emotional presentation to you? It's pretty cool to see, I think.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think what's really happening here is I'm kind of lucky that I, that, because most of this stuff that I'm working on now has been around forever. Lots of people do it, but they're not, they're not mainstream. And so people Mm -hmm. don't really listen to them. And so I think my whole purpose here was to, to get some street cred, basically. Yeah. you know, with the, with the the showing and all the training and all the, the, the YouTube videos and whatever. Get some street cred from people. And so people actually believe what I have to say a bit and then start leading them down the path of this self-reflection sort of thing. And they're, they, they're interested in it and they're going to go there only because I already have some influence over them. I think someone who has no influence over them is – I know personally if someone – four years ago started telling me the stuff that I talk about now, I think you're an idiot. Yeah, pound salt. (laughs) Get away from me, you know. Yes, yes, sir. sir. You're a nut. But, you know, um, but I'm really starting to um, understand. And I was lucky I had some experiences in the past that really helped me understand this. We talked before about uh, Jonathan Field. Correct. I think Jonathan has this awareness um, and I know he didn't have to go to twelve months of therapy to find it, but <laughs> but he, I mean, that's one of the things that that makes him so good with horses. He has this. I, I think the best horsemen I've ever met all have this vibe about them. Have this, there's something about them, they basically got them themselves sorted out. Yeah. Um, I met a I met a fellow last year, an old horseman who'd spent a lot of time around uh, Tom Dorrance. Tom was a friend of his, and he said he had this barn cat at his ranch, and it was a wild, it was a feral barn cat. It was black and white. He said, but I couldn't tell you if it had a black patch over its left eye or its right eye. I couldn't tell you that because I never saw it for long enough. It would just flip from here to there like wild barn cats do, you know. Mm -hmm. And he said, Tom, Doran's came to visit one time. Anyway, he pulled up outside the barn and came in, and we hadn't seen each other for a couple of years, and we sat down and we started chatting away there and, he said, after about 15 minutes, that cat flitted across the end of the barn aisle. He said, that's perfectly normal. I see it flip quite a bit. But then about 15 minutes later, it sat at the end of the barn aisle. And he said, that's the first time I've actually seen it, could tell you had a black patch on its left eye. He said, they kept chatting away. And about half an hour later, that cat was sitting halfway down the barn aisle. And they kept chatting. And half an hour later, that cat came up to Tom and was rubbing his head on Tom's leg. And he said, Tom stayed for two days. And that cat followed him around like a dog for two days. and when Tom left, that cat went back to being Never to be seen yeah. And I think I think Jonathan Field has that, whatever that thing is, that, yeah. that vibe yeah. about him, that yeah. the cat's yeah. the presence. The cats would do that. But I have noticed, since I've been working on this stuff a lot more, at clinics. Someone will have a horse they're having trouble with and it doesn't pay any attention to them. It's standing in the lead rope looking away from them and you know, distracted at everything. And I'll say, Okay, so just let me take a hold of them and I'll show you what I would do to fix this. Now, in the past, I would take a hold of them, do something with them, and fix it. And the horse is now different. Mm-hmm. These days, I take a hold of the lead rope, and a lot of the times, those horses will come over, engage with me, sniff my hands kind of say, hey, how you going? And they're very connected to me, and I haven't done anything yet. And it's not something I do at the time. It's not something I go, okay, I'm going to get myself centered. I'm going to, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, that. <laughs> yeah, clinical and, process per se. And Yeah, and that didn't happen in the past. That's okay, interesting. So there's, there's, there's something to this because that did not happen in the past. I didn't ever take a hold of a horse and have it be different until I trained it to be different, you know, me influencing the horse by – Teaching them to do things, asking them to do things. I, I, it just happened like that last trip in uh, the UK. Almost every horse there did that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just it just bamboozled me to the I mean, I, I understand it now, but it's, yeah. it's just so like that's the biggest part of it is who you are, and you cannot you can't fake. Who yeah. you are.
0: Yeah. And and, and and
1: it's not just who you are with horses. It becomes you can't just show up with a horse and go, Okay, I'm a new person. Yeah. You've got to kind of do it everywhere else.
0: It has to be a genuine, a genuine change as you as an individual, right? It's yeah. not a show, it's not an act, it's not a persona. It's it's you have to change who you are. And I think that's been the the greatest blessing in my journey in horsemanship is that I feel like and I'm sure there's plenty of people that have a uh, differentiating opinion. But I feel like I'm so much of a better person because of what the life lessons the horse has taught me. Not that I've taught a horse anything, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. For me, too. And like I said, I used to do that talk at those horse expos where it was called Everything I Learned in Life I Learned from Horses. Mm-hmm. That was that was pre-Sherlock I was doing that stuff. Now it's, there's a whole lot more to it now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. And I think... For me, in my conversations with Jonathan, he brings up the two points, right, and he talks a lot about draw, right. You got to have that horse's draw, yep. um, and and just the simple phrase of going out and and playing with your horse and seeing what you can do. That word play versus yep. going out and working with your horse. Yep. For me, has created a whole entire different response in my horse because of where I'm at mentally when I go out to do the. You know, I used to think, "Hey, I'm gonna pull the horse out. We're gonna we're gonna accomplish A, B, C, and D. We're gonna work at this stuff." Versus a yep. uh, uh, post conversation with Jonathan. Let's go out and play, and just let's see what comes of the day,
1: right? Yeah, and, and when I went and stayed with him, did. I didn't expect to do anything with the horses, but yeah. he said, "You want to go play with the horses?" And every time he talked about it. Well, let's – we'll get Hal out and we'll play with Hal. Yeah. And then we'll get him out and we'll – yeah. And everything he does with horses has that that lightness about him, like that yeah. that fluid. And now, have you ever seen a guy, a French guy, I think he's French. His name is um, – oh, hell, he does a lot of Liberty stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? It's not the Flying Frenchman. It's not that guy. It's the other one. Yeah. <laughs> um, does all this really flowy liberty stuff with horses? I can't think what his name is, but I I know several people have been to his clinics here yeah. in America, and the very first thing you do is learn how to meditate. That's it's the crazy. Start, it's crazy. That's the start of his. That's the start of his liberty stuff. Is learning how to meditate? It's basically controlling your mind because it's all about presence. You know, it's all about what your mind's thinking and. Wow. Yeah, what's that? I can't think of that guy's name. But yeah, he's it's and I used to look at his liberty and go, Oh, that's that's a load of garbage. Yeah. But because they weren't doing exactly what he said, that it was very, very fluid. And if one of them runs off, he just runs off with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you run off with them, then they come back to you. And there's something I've been doing at clinics a lot this year is just matching steps with horses that are distracted. And you just go with That's them an and interesting match their approach steps. Oh my God. It's amazing. No, I'm I'm not never sure where about I never thought that. I'm not sure where I saw it. There's a lot of people that do it, but when you match steps with them after a while, well, there's two things. You've got to be very, very present to match steps with them. Correct. To take the same steps they take. So you have got to be very, very present. But after a while they notice that you are matching steps with them and notice how connected you are. Instead of them mentally leaving you, then they start to come and connect with you. And, uh, it's one of those things I'm doing these days that is a lot of the stuff I'm doing these days to get connection is not training I'm not trained to do anything a lot of times it's letting them know how much you know
0: yeah you' um, you're there with them
1: yeah how much you notice how 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 non how you don't have any expectations that's one part of it but the other part of it is is just how how connected you can be with them how how present you can be without having any expectations that's so there's, Yeah, there's been the matching steps thing that's been a i've had some amazing um changes in horses the clinics this year i had a, a clinic in missouri and there's a girl there who had a mustang and she's got one of their mustang makeover things mm-hmm. and i think she's had him for about five weeks or something or other and she's trained him to do a lot of stuff but he's kind of just real rigid and head high and he does what he's supposed to do but there's no relaxation about it and i had a match steps uh, the first day and the second day. And on the second day of the clinic when she was matching steps, he just buckled at the knees, lay down, went to sleep in the arena. And, like, he doesn't lay down around anybody. And uh, just from the matching steps, he buckled at the knees and had a big old sleep. And uh, she had quite a bit of a cry, and it wasn't the only drop. <laughs> it wasn't the only wet eye in the arena. Yeah. Some, something I noticed a couple of years ago, like, what I had been having people do is wait a lot. Ask their horse to do something and then wait and wait and see, wait for that horse to have a lick and chew between asks. I don't have to do it so much anymore because I've got people doing their homework before the clinic. So by the Mm -hmm. time they come to the clinic, they've waited a lot, and those horses just can let down quite easily. But in 2017, I was having to do it at clinics, and so you might ask a horse to do something and then have to wait 45 minutes from the lick and chew. Yeah. Um, What I found at some of those clinics, while people were waiting – they would start crying, and it wasn't anything I said to them. And they'd turn to me and say the weirdest things, like, "Oh, you know what? When I was a kid, my mother said this, and it really upset me." And I'm like, "What in the world <laughs> is going on here?" And what I You're realized about unintended now, consequence right? Yeah, and what I realize now is that a lot of times the things we do that are what Brene Brown would call numbing behaviors, you know? Yes. Um, whether it's spinning three hours scrolling through Facebook or if it's being a workaholic or if it's being an alcoholic or it's, you know, binge watching the whole seven episodes of Game of Thrones at the same time. The avoidance
0: behavior.
1: These things are avoidance behaviors. And and the reason we do those is because we don't want to be present because when you're present, emotions and thoughts come up that you'd like to avoid. And so what I found was waiting for these horses at clinics and just watching their muzzles because a lot of times if you ask a horse to do something, and then when you stop asking them to do something, if you notice their muzzle starts to twitch, they are trying to reset themselves. They're trying to come back down. So these days, if a horse's muzzle's twitching, I just wait and wait and wait and wait and be observant of that muzzle twitching. And eventually, they'll lick and chew. Well, at these clinics, people would be standing there just being observant of that muzzle twitching with no expectation of the outcome, just being present. And that's when they start to cry. And I t- initially, i like, I, I. I I didn't upset this lady. Why is she crying? Like I've had clinics in the past where people have cried, but I was not because we were sitting there
0: waiting on horse.
1: No, I was the reason they cried, but this was not (laughs) it. I hadn't said anything (laughs) to upset them or whatever. And what I know realise now is from reading all the stuff that I've read that that when you become present and this is why we don't want to be present, is because emotions come up and that we don't want to deal with and so we do some other Numbing or avoiding behaviors, so we don't have to be present, and that's why it's so hard learning to meditate because our mind's like no 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 over here over here over here. Yeah, I remember.
0: So, have you ever heard of a, a float tank?
1: They yeah, use it in been physical in, therapy, been, right? they in several of them. Yeah, yeah. So
0: that was my first experience in a float tank. I don't know if I got a half an hour or an hour, whatever the session was. But you lay in that float tank, right? And the intended consequence or the intended result is that it helps with decompression of your spine and your muscles and helps you relax. But you lay in that that tank and it's complete silence and complete darkness and you realize I cannot get my mind to
1: turn off for a split second. Yeah, that's the thing about the float tank. Yeah. It's just I've never heard about the physical aspects of it. Yeah. The reason I was told to do it is because it's you and your mind. You have no physical sensation. You have no sight. You have no, None of your senses work. Yeah. Yes, turns of your senses off.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And then when you start to at, at first, I didn't like it at all because of that, right? The I guess you could say we go back all the way to the beginning of the show and the the white noise. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you start to you start to work on the titration of that, and you you get hey, can I get two seconds of my brain turning off, and three seconds of my brain turning off, and thirty seconds of it turning off, and then you start to develop that level of awareness of hey, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting a little too busy between the ears, and I need to take a step back and. It's just it's crazy to hear how the horse you know plays so many so many different roles, wears so many different hats in improving an individual's life from from so many different perspectives. I think all of it is a blessing for us to even be involved in it for one second of our life, you know let alone oh, yeah, years and generations
1: yeah, yeah, I think they're amazing that way and and they i did a uh, I did a Facebook live yesterday and I took que- you know a list of questions that people had asked me beforehand, and one of the questions was, what do you think about? teaching a horse forgiveness the concept of teaching a horse forgiveness I think was one of the questions and I said I don't think you have to teach them that they, they do that though yeah I think you, we need to learn you, it from the horse you, yeah you change they'll change they they don't they don't work on the human you were yesterday they yeah. work on the human you are right now so you don't have to work on teaching them forgiveness yeah. they they're very very forgiving I think
0: absolutely absolutely well work I'll tell you we've definitely covered uh, quite a bit of ground in this episode and, and you've had the recent change in philosophies and approach. Can you help people understand where they can find and consume more of this content? I mean, we alluded to your YouTube channel. We alluded to your, to your clinics and your training programs. I I know you have a website, but let's talk a little bit about where people can consume more of Warwick Schiller and your approaches to horses.
1: Um, well, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube and the and I've got like 300 and something videos on YouTube and and lately I've been putting up videos that are about the new stuff I'm doing, but I've left all the other stuff up there. And people people have asked me, well, if you're not doing that anymore, why leave it there? And I said, I think you have to be in a certain place in your life to be able to take this new stuff in. I don't think it's for everybody. What I was was doing before worked and helped people. So, you know, even though I, I don't do a lot of that stuff anymore, it's not that it's wrong, and that's. I'm kind of lucky that way. That you know, three or four years ago, where I was, and what I was doing, it worked and it was successful. And so I thought I was right. It works and it's successful, so I'm right. Everybody else is wrong.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> luckily, that's great.
1: Luckily, luckily, now I know I'm, I'm not that very far removed from that, and I know that when I was in that headspace, I was right. And so, if someone else is in that place, I don't judge them and say, well, no, you're wrong. There's a better way of doing it. I kind of go, well, you are right for where you are right now. That's, that's exactly right for, for, for where you are in your journey. That's, that's where you need to be. So it uh, really stopped me from being judgmental because I know that when I was there, I thought I was right. And if someone is there and they think they're right now, I don't go, no, you're wrong. Yeah, they're not I mean, at fault for you, it, yeah. You, 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 are, you are right. Wherever, I think wherever you are is right. There's people who are further along this whole thing than I am now, a lot further along than I am right now, and they're right too. Um, but I, I really think that when you get to a certain point, you stop judging people because you realize that no one's right. Yeah, They're all right for where they are right now. But anyway, so there's some of the newer stuff on um, on um, YouTube, and I, I've – filmed a um, a tv show for farm and ranch tv here in america and horse and country tv in the uk and europe called the principles of training and it it was about four years ago i did the first lot of episodes i just started releasing those on youtube they're old now so i started releasing those on youtube they're not so much the new stuff but those principles really haven't changed i just do different things to get those principles but on my website i have a you know the, the biggest part is on my website. I have a, a online video subscription thing, a monthly subscription thing, and on that I've I've now got two paths. I used to just have one thing, and now I have the relationship path and the skills path. And the skills path is what I used to do, and the relationship path is um, what I now do. And so it's more about building relaxation connection first before you worry about training them. The other one's more about training. So it depends on where you are in your – I have a lot of professional horse people, professional trainers and stuff that use the the skills path stuff. Um, the thing with this new stuff is it's really hard to train horses for a living and do it because it's pretty darn slow. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not, Absolutely. You, you, you're absolutely. not going to get stuff done in, in, in 30 days. And the other thing is – when, I think when you train horses for the public, you almost have to train horses to not read people's body language, oh, not body language, you've got to read their body language, but not read people's thoughts and emotions so much because you've got to make it work for everybody. Um, whereas if you're training a horse for yourself, you want them to be able to read you and so you can... you. um you can become more in-depth with things. Yeah, you can become more in-depth with things. So it's, it's, it's almost like you, know, you want the horse functional, you want to have that relationship. And it all depends what you're going to do. But but professional trainers really cannot have that relationship with them. They, they can, but that doesn't mean it's going to work necessarily for the owner. And so I think you know, it really really depends on what you're trying to do. But.
0: And I think one of the biggest challenges with the, the public training thing is just that, is it, that uh, I don't think owners get as involved as they should right and i understand why there's that barrier because you're paying a trainer for a, a certain level of expertise uh but then you talk about developing that connection on a deeper level and it taking more time and i don't think people realistically either want to spend that money or even understand how long it takes because you're on that horse's time and every horse is going to have a different response you know and there's the common misconception that in 30 days a horse should be this, or in 60 days a horse should be this, or in five years a horse should be that. You know, it's it's such an individualistic approach to each animal and each human alike.
1: Yeah, and you know, you can get a horse doing whatever in 30 days, and get them doing whatever in 60 yeah. days. But, but um, you know, these days I'm I'm really taking the slow approach because I found there's just way you get way more done doing that way
0: yeah it's incredible it's incredible to hear the progression so as we wrap every episode i like to give the guests the opportunity to kind of share their maybe life motto or, or legacy or words to live by if they're an individual traveling a path that you have traveled in your life and your career and maybe we're just a, a few miles behind you what advice would you share for with them or or what lessons would you like them to learn
1: Oh, I'd have to say that oh, I, I, I would suggest everybody takes up some sort of meditation practice. If you don't do it, start doing it. It's not for crazy hippie guys with tie dyed <laughs> dresses or whatever. You know, I, I read a, I read a lot of books, listen to. A lot of books on Audible, and uh, none of them. All. I used to. I used to read horse training books. Now I don't read horse training books because it's the stuff that aren't horse training books that help me the most. But one of the coolest ones I've listened to recently is one called "Stealing Fire" by a fellow named Stephen Cottis and he wrote a book a couple of few years ago called "The Rise of Superman," and it's about achieving the flow state in whatever you do. And this book, "Stealing Fire," the subtitle for it is how silicon valley navy seals and rogue entrepreneurs are changing the way we live and work and uh there's a fair bit about there well there's quite a bit about meditating in that but it's about altered states and how you achieve those things whether it's you know, whether it's skydiving you know whether it's you know free soloing lcap uh things like that but navy seals these days all meditate it's part of their training because it they can be much better at their job uh, if they meditate. And i I found from meditating, just learn to meditate, the little bit I have, that it will it'll change your life. It will help you so much with the horses, but it will help you with everything else in life. It's just amazing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Warwick, we thank you very much for your time. And if there's anything that we can do here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast, we'd love to help out. And And, and again, we wish you the best of luck in your new journeys and all of your world travels, I guess, huh?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on here. I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing because it seems like every one of your podcasts has been along the lines of what we talked about here, and I really think it's it's a game changer, and it's, it, it's not... You know, it's not out there in the public. It's With the horses, it's more about how to stop them from being bad or whatever. And it's yeah, this whole introspective part of it's not probably looked at as much as it should be. So thank you for, for bringing it to people's attention.
0: Yes, sir. And thank you very much for your support. We'll talk to you down the road.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. See ya.
0: Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Rain Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Rain Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.